What's the most, most scarce resource is the passionate and committed human mind. What do you want to do? And then go off and do it. Stop complaining. Go solve it. That's one of the most important things I can convey because you can. Because you can. And if you don't, it's because you choose not to try. Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's podcast is with Peter Diamandis. Peter is the founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation, which leads the world in designing and operating large-scale incentive competitions. He's also the executive founder of Singularity University, a graduate-level Silicon Valley institution that counsels the world's leaders on exponential growing technologies. As an entrepreneur, Peter has started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital, and education. He's also co-founder of Bold Capital Partners, a venture fund with $250 million investing in exponential technologies. Peter's also a New York Times bestselling author with two books, Abundance, The Future's Better Than You Think, and Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. Fortune magazine recently named Peter as one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. His favorite quote is, the best way to predict the future is to create it yourself. Peter sat down with Asia Society Hong Kong to conduct the following interview. Peter, thank you for taking the time to join us today. A pleasure. All right. Well, we're here in Hong Kong uh, in your beautiful suite here at the Pen, and uh, you're kind of busy. And so but we got a little bit of your time uh, carved out for the Movers and Chickers podcast. Uh, as I said, it's for youth of today and sort of the advice that you would like to give to them. Uh, and you're a very wise, sort of mm. well-traveled uh, uh, man uh, in terms of... I'll, I'll agree with one of those. <laughs> well, you are optimistic, and uh, that is something that we want to pass on, especially in today's times. Um, let's uh, jump right into it. Um, we like to get started. We like to ask all our guests uh, if you have a morning routine. What does the first half of your day look like? Um, I have a theoretical morning routine. Uh, it varies depending on how much travel I'm doing. But my morning routine, when I have the time protected, uh, one of the things I realized is that I end up doing what's on my calendar. So if I can actually protect my calendar and start my meetings, not at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., but at 10 a.m., it gives me time in the morning. Uh, My morning routine is going to be meditation. Uh, It is mindfulness meditation doesn't take long, but just 10 minutes, it's selfish for myself. Uh, It'll be exercise, which could be weights or walking. When I'm in the shower, I will take a, you know, a hot shower followed by a cold shower, sort of like stress the system. Uh, I will look at my calendar and figure out what are the three most important things that if I do them today, today was a massive success. And one of the challenges are we're bombarded all the time by so many things. It's, it's easy to become lost and easy to, to lose track of what you're doing. Now, at the beginning of the day, if you can say, listen, if I accomplish A, B, and C today um, and consider it a win, then you can make literally every day a win for yourself. If you are, in retrospect, looking at uh, all the things you could have done, then you're always what, a, what one of my mentors, uh, Dan Sullivan, says is, is being in the gap. Right? So what that means is if you compare yourself against the potential of infinity, if you compare yourself against Jack Ma or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, 
you're you're going to always feel like you're underperforming if you instead can compare yourself from how far you've come then you can feel that level of fulfillment so that also goes to my daily routine in the morning i haven't done anything yet if i do these three things today's a massive success do those three things feel the success and then whatever else you do on top of that is the cherry on top of your ice cream sundae Great advice. Uh, these incremental improvements in these three things, are those set in the morning or the night before? Uh, for me, it's the morning. Uh, the night before, when I'm going to sleep, uh, when I'm cognitive of it, when I'm able to reflect on it, what I want to do is actually think about what were the three most amazing things that I was grateful for today. It's a, it's a gratitude reflection of these three things that happened today were amazing and just to feel blessed about life. And um, a lot of times those three things might be things I did with my kids. And they're simple things. It's not the deal I did. It's more the conversation I had. And when you can reflect on what gives you gratitude, it changes your perspective on what's important in life. Is that a journal? Uh, It isn't. Uh, It's just a reflection for myself right now. A lot of people do keep a gratitude journal. And... um, Uh, That's a great thing. I keep a journal for my ideas and for meetings that I have, but my gratitude is simply a mindset. In today's society, you were speaking about uh, uh, the night before, and actually sleep is a big thing. Like, Is sleep a problem for you, or do you have any sort of techniques to get good sleep? So I think sleep is one of the most underappreciated elements of, of health and longevity. If I could go back in time and give myself advice, it would be sleep is not to be sacrificed. So there is a great book uh, by a friend, Matt Walker, uh, called Why We Sleep. Hmm. And, and he's a scientist in the Bay Area, a PhD that focuses on sleep. And the realization is, you know, listen, if, if evolution could have done away with sleep, it would have, right? When we're sleeping, we're not productive, we're not hunting, we are really... Um, open to predation, and we're vulnerable. And so clearly, there would have been evolutionary benefits for minimizing the amount of sleep, but yet we haven't. So it turns out sleep is really important for your physiology, for your health. A lot of people like myself, I used to like think, okay, I'm going to get away with five and a half hours. Five and a half hours was my like the target I shot for. Uh, and the reality is we do need eight hours of sleep. Uh, less than 1% of people can do on six hours of sleep, but eight hours of sleep should be your target. And I'm a I'm a good sleeper. My biggest challenge is going to sleep early. Uh, and you know, I wake up at six a.m. Uh, sometimes five or five thirty, and which means I need to be in bed by nine or nine thirty. And um, I I respect sleep far more now than I ever did. I'd like to stay on this health track, actually, because um, that's something that you're known for, especially the longevity and the human longevity. Um, so in terms of a, a diet, for example, is there a, a specific diet that you, you sort of follow or would tell people to sort of... Uh... Yeah, I, I'm a, I am a proponent of a vegan diet. Hmm. Um, I do my best to stick with it. It's you know maximal amount of whole plants, um, vegetables. I stay away from dairy. Uh, I do add some fish and I do add some eggs for a protein, but uh, a vegan diet is something that the science does show us is healthier for you. And the other thing, 
is staying away from sugar uh, sweets. Uh, the other thing I'll do on a diet is I will do intermittent fasting, which means I will try and eat as early as I can in the evening and then skip breakfast and have, you know, go on the order of at least 14 hours between dinner and my next meal, sometimes 16 hours. Uh, and it turns out that our body has a series of longevity-related genes that are activated by different types of stress. They're activated by thermal stress, like very cold water. They're activated by, uh, by hunger. And, um, and these, there's a great book by a friend, Dr. David Sinclair, who heads longevity at Harvard, called Lifespan, which I commend to everybody, and you can read more about um, about these longevity genes and the benefit of intermittent fasting. Right. Staying on the health uh, sort of uh, track, are there any supplements that you would recommend that um, people take? Well, it depends on your age, and uh, there are a number of supplements that I do take. Um, I am taking a, a very generic drug called metformin, which reduces blood glucose levels, and it is protective against cancer. Hmm. Um, I take 1,000 milligrams of metformin. Uh, and then another drug which I'm taking right now is uh, NMN, um, and uh, nicotinamide um, mononucleotide. It's NMN is, again, if you read David Sinclair's book, Lifespan, he'll talk about it. It's a precursor to a molecule in the body called NAD, um, and NAD is the power source that is drives most of the enzymatic reactions in your body. And as we age, the your levels of NAD drop, and and taking NMN is a uh, important molecule. And there's a few companies here in Hong Kong that manufacture NMN. Okay. Now, in terms of a let's backtrack to sort of a, uh, your life. Um, one of the things that we like to ask our guests is. How has a great failure in your life set you up for a future success? Wow. Uh, a lot of great failures in my life that I'm proud of. <laughs> <laughs> proud, um, that's good. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, God, where do I start? Um, I think uh, early on, um, man, where do I start? Uh, my freshman year at college, great. I was taking a biology course. And in this biology course, there was something called the fetal pig dissection. And you were given a fetal pig that you had to dissect, and you had to learn the anatomy of the fetal pig. Pretty basic stuff. Right. But in the middle of that, that course, I ended up coming down with chickenpox. And I was in the infirmary for a week, and I missed a large part of all the lab work. And I ended up um, making a wrong decision that I was going to snatch the fetal pig, steal the fetal pig from my freshman lab, bring it back to my dorm, and study it over the weekend uh, because I, I, I rationalized that I didn't have enough time with the fetal pig. Anyway, there was taking the fetal pig out of the lab was an absolute uh, violation of the honor code, and I did it anyway. And then uh, someone found out I did it, and was going to turn me in. And I ended up going through the most heart-wrenching, extraordinarily soul-searching um, experience. I went and buried the fetal pig in the forest to, 
to literally bury the evidence. And then had a talk to my dad who was like, no, you need to go and turn yourself in and explain the situation. So I went and exhumed the fetal pig from the forest. Like, I mean, it's crazy. And brought it and brought it to my professor, Dr. Frank Price. And I was in tears and just, you know, sort of threw myself on the mercy. Uh, and, and he said, have you learned your lesson? And I said, Absolutely, because I was absolutely sure I was going to be thrown out of my freshman year and my life was over. And he said, okay, good luck on the exam. And that forgiveness uh, was so extraordinary and allowed me to continue on my career path and and allowed me to do everything I've done. And so I'm, I'm extraordinarily thankful to him. And so... The sense of one, you know, this sense of, of, of honesty and forgiveness, so critically uh, important, and um, and really the being careful about taking shortcuts that will put you on the wrong path. That was that was one lesson. Um, there's a multitude of others. Uh, you know, I've had spectacular failures in my life and my businesses. Some good successes too, but. Uh, a few times I had, I, I'm in, I'm like on my 22nd company now, and a few companies that I pursued were not my passion. I was doing them to try and make a quick buck. I, I rationalized them as a get-rich-quick scheme. And I found myself down the road on these companies actually feeling like I was wasting my time. And when, the, when it... When the going got tough, I didn't want to continue. And I realized that I don't want to do anything I'm not in love with. That the most important thing for me is, even if it's hard, even if it's not going to make money, you know, it's like doing the things that you love is an amazing luxury. You can make a career out of anything. But doing something to make a quick buck is, is an empty proposition. And when it gets hard, because there are no quick... I mean, you can be lucky, but there are no really quick wins in anything significant. It's going to be hard. And so make sure you're doing things that you love. That's great advice. Now, in terms of finding your passion, um, you, you just said you had 22 companies. Yeah. And uh, you're an eternal optimist. And, yes. And uh, you see a future of not haves and have-nots, but of haves and super-haves. Yes. And um, now we're... Everyone has access to the world's best knowledge, healthcare, education. Now, imagine you are speaking to all of the youth today, globally. Hello, youth. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're you're talking to them. And in that audience, there's some future Elons and Bezos and Jack Ma's. And what are the biggest problems of today in this world, the specific ones that you would want them to tackle? So here's my advice for anybody age, you know, 8 to to 98. Um, And those of you who consider yourself youthful, independent of what you're chronological age is we're living in a time where you can make a career out of anything and ultimately doing things that you love that you're passionate about uh, is the most important thing and so there's a few truisms that I find amazing that the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities mm. if you want to become a billionaire help a billion people right these are beautiful truths and so the question becomes what are you passionate about? What do you really want to do? What is it that lights your heart up? Doing anything big and bold in the world is really hard. 
it may look like it's easy. You may look at a, an entrepreneur and saying, oh my God, it's incredible. They're worth gazillion dollars and, and, and look what they've done. And I want to be just like them. Well, most of us don't actually know the true story. Don't actually know the heartache and the desperation and the thousand failures along the way. And I know a lot of my companies are overnight successes after you know ten or twenty years of hard work, and it's only because I did not give up that that they've succeeded. It's only because I loved it so much that I refused to give up. That I was going to work on this no matter what, because it was my highest purpose in life. So the the single most important advice to everyone, including if I was you know, giving advice to my younger self, is don't compromise. Find the things that you love, that light you on fire, and do those things. And so when people say, well, I don't know what I love. I don't know what my massively transformative purpose is. Well, here's some thoughts on how to find it. First of all, finding it is like the number one important thing you should do. Right. What did you want to do when you were a kid? When you were seven, eight, nine years old before your parents or the world or your teachers told you you couldn't because you can. We're living in a world where you can become an astronaut. You can go and, and dive the oceans. You can do whatever it is if you truly passionately want it. A friend of mine um, who applied to the astronaut corps eight times hmm. was rejected seven times and he kept on going and he finally was accepted, right? And He's flown on three space shuttle missions, wow. um, and you know he's amazing. But again, it's like, what do you want to do? So what do you want to do when you're a kid? Here's another way to find perhaps your, your passion. If I were to give you a billion dollars and say, listen, use this money to make the world a better place. You can't spend it on yourself. Hmm. What would you do with it? Right? Who do you want to be a hero to? Right. These are of explorations that one should have. And, and your MTP, your massively transformative purpose, it can change over time. My earliest MTP was opening up space, becoming a multiplanetary species. That was it. That focused me. And then after that, I became enamored with solving grand challenges. That gave birth to the X Prize and Singularity University. And now I'm enamored with longevity. How do I add 20 or 30 healthy years on a person's life? And, and you don't have to get it right. But just get connected with what, what makes it fun to be alive, what makes it fun to work hard. Right. Wow. So a constantly evolving MTP, yeah. thinking like a child to figure that out. Well, thinking without constraints, thinking without judgment, thinking without uh, critique from the world. Hmm. Well, in, t- in terms of the world, I, uh, it's a scary world out there for these youth. Um, and it's, again, they're bombarded by so many things in the media uh, what would you call CNN? Uh, the uh, Crisis News Network. Right. Yeah. Um, what is, I, I, you might not have this, but what is your biggest fear for today? Wow. So, first of all, let me say to the youth listening that I believe that we're living during the most extraordinary time ever in human history. Right. That this is the greatest time to be alive. That you me, all of us as individuals have more power to solve the world's problems than ever before. And, and instead of complaining about the way the world is, fix it. You can. Uh, you know, each of us, everyone here in this conversation, you have access to more information on Baidu and Google than the heads of nations had you know, 20 years ago. 
You have access to more computational power on the cloud. You have access to more capital anytime ever before. You have access to more you know, computational power, uh, 3D printing capability, uh, you know, just, I mean, we are superhuman in our abilities. What, what is the most scarce resource is the passionate and commuted, the, excuse me, what's the most, most scarce resource is the passionate and committed human mind. What do you want to do? And then go off and do it. Stop complaining, go solve it. That's one of the most important things I can convey because you can because you can. And if you don't, it's because you choose not to try. Um, so for me, what's scary? Um, I am scared of over-government regulations a lot of times. Uh, you know, the challenge is that the world is changing at an accelerating rate. And a lot of times, governments are stabilizing forces that try and hold things back. But it's, you know, how do you create evolution of, of governance at the same time and rate that technology is accelerating? It's, it's a challenge. Uh, there are disasters I'm afraid of, for sure. Um, I'm worried about, uh, you know, uh, pandemics. I don't know that we are prepared for a pandemic of the type of the 1918 flu that killed a quarter, you know, that infected a, a quarter of the world's population right. and, you know, killed uh, 10% of the world. If that happened again today with the global travel. So, but there are, there are solutions there, right? We can create technologies that can detect them in open air filters. We can find ways to create uh, bacterial countervailing forces. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do. Um, but again, these problems are opportunities as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but just one final question. Yeah. Uh, so you just said he's uh, 30th anniversary in uh, January 2020. Uh, we just want to like to ask all our guests, what was your first trip to China or Asia, and what was your initial impression? Um, my first trip to China was uh, back in 2008. I've had the pleasure of starting two universities, the International Space University and Singularity University. And ISU is a migrant university that travels around the world, as well as having a permanent campus in Strasbourg. And we ran a summer program in Beijing. And... Um, uh, it was a beautiful experience, but 2008 was still a long time ago in, in, in China's meteoric rise as a nation. And I've been coming to the greater Bay Area now for the last three years, and I have found it extraordinarily welcoming uh, and open and collaborative and exciting from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So my experience has been amazing. Okay, great. Uh, the future, is it in Asia or is it back in the West? Uh, I'm no, there's no question that for me that it is both. Uh, okay. China is on an extraordinary rise. When I think about uh, the world, I think the U.S. Will, will maintain a strong position for decades, but China is going to accelerate and surpass the U.S. in a number of different areas. And then behind that, we'll see India rising mm -hmm. because of its highly educated, youthful large population. Uh, and then, you know, that's in the sort of the second decade. The third decade probably might be Africa. Uh, if it can solve some of its communication and transportation problems, it's such a resource-rich uh, continent. Wonderful. Peter, we could talk for hours here, but uh, uh, this, is, this sounds like a good place to end. So uh, we'll let Thank you, you go now. Thanks Pleasure. Peter. You're welcome, Mikey. Thank you. Thank you.